say my thanks to our worship team for leading us this morning and helping us to remember what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus, it's about the King who has come, and He is worthy of our worship. Christmas is about Jesus coming as our gift, God's gift to us. And um, one of the things we do, obviously, at Christmas is we give gifts to others. We exchange gifts in uh, really participation of what the Lord's done for us. And so we enjoy that. All of us enjoy that each and every year. And as a church family, we've been gifted uh, two amazing uh, presents this past week. Uh, two of our families have introduced, or I shouldn't say introduced, welcomed new babies into their home. Uh, Mike and uh, Tiffany Blakeney had their little girl Anastasia last Sunday evening, and Mike's one of our elders, and so uh, we uh, praise the Lord for little Anastasia. Mom and baby are doing well, and then uh, Kyle and Christina Eckhoff, one of some of our newer members, uh, just adopted a brand new baby girl, Emma, Emmeline Gale, and so she's right up here. So it's exciting stuff to see two new families, especially just the story of how you guys came um, to get Miss Emma, and so uh, it's just cool, cool, cool what the Lord has done, and so we rejoice with them. If you got your Bible there in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to read, Matthew chapter 2, I should say, we're going to read the first three verses in just a little bit, but uh, this is really the most wonderful time of the year as we celebrate Jesus and His coming. Uh, this season is marked by parties and laughter. It's marked by families and, and, and friends, dinners and gifts and, and, and all of the things that come along with that. It's cards and sending messages to one another. Uh, there's a lot of labor that goes into the Christmas season. There's a lot of, of miles to be traveled. Some of our folks are traveling this week and have already left to go. I was just looking through social media feeds yesterday and saw that last year at this time we had traveled to uh, my home back in Arkansas. And so a lot of times people travel during this season. And in all of it, we can agree that there's a lot of money that is spent. Amen? And it's a worthy uh, expense, a worthy cause during this time as we celebrate Jesus. But as I think about the way we celebrate Jesus and the things that it involves for us, it very, uh, in, in many ways it very much resembles the first Christmas season. If you think with me, Joseph and, and Mary uh, traveled during this season of life for them. Joseph was a member of the tribe of Judah. And if you know, remember the, the story, he was summoned to go back, as everyone in Israel was at that point, to their hometown to register for the census that had been ordered. And so Mary and his betrothed, Mary, or uh, Joseph and his betrothed, Mary, uh, took their, uh, I guess, their donkey and their supplies, and they began to make the 85 mile or so trek southward to Bethlehem, there in. Judea. And while there in the small town of Bethlehem, Mary, who was uh, greatly uh, with child, began to go into labor, and so they began to try to find a place for the looming arrival of the baby to come. And so the only thing that Joseph could find was a simple stall in a stable. And there in that stall, Mary gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph would later name him, just as the, direct, the angel had directed him to name him Jesus. And then Luke chapter 2, I've alluded to this earlier, tells us that just outside of Bethlehem, there were some shepherds who were tending their sheep. And there during the night, this angel appeared and began to proclaim to them all that had happened down in the city of Bethlehem. And then a celestial choir erupted in the heavens, praising God and giving glory to the Jesus who had been born. So the shepherds went away just as they 
had been told. They go into Bethlehem. They find everything there in the stable. They find Jesus. They find all that the angels had proclaimed, and they gave glory to the Lord Jesus as well. But there were others who traveled during this birth time. And that we find in Matthew chapter 2. We find the Magi coming over to see what had happened in the town of Bethlehem. Look with me in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And so Matthew in his gospel gives us a little bit different of a glimpse of what was taking place. And he talks about these magi who were coming to see and to worship Jesus. These men are a bit mysterious for us. First of all, they were not necessarily kings. They probably were wealthy, probably had a lot of influence. But we should better think of them as a combination of astrologer and Priests. They combined astronomical observation with astrolog- astrological speculation. So, in other words, these were men who were students of the stars. They studied and speculated on the things that were happening. They brought in religion and politics and, and all of this and kind of put it together. They would have held a high-ranking position, which is evidenced by the gifts that they give, costly gifts that they give to the Lord Jesus. Tradition tells us that there were three magi, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. It only tells us that there were three gifts given, so there could have been more, there could have been less. Matthew tells us that they came from the east. Now, we don't know exactly which nation they came from. We just know that they came from the east, and they were following a star that was in the west. This reference to the star resembles much of what's spoken of in Numbers 24. It talks about... Uh, or it resembles what Isaiah mentions in Isaiah chapter 6. It's this idea of this, this one who was to come, who would rise up out of the tribe of Judah, who would be the leader of Israel, who would be a king that the nations would come to. And so the Magi traveled hundreds, if not thousands of miles, to find the one this star pointed to. Matthew tells us upon entering into Israel, they began to inquire about who this star is pointing toward. And so they go to the king there in Jerusalem, King Herod, and they begin to ask him, where is this one that has been spoken of? The Bible tells us that Herod was troubled at this. In fact, all of Jerusalem was troubled over this news. It was something that would disrupt the flow of the political climate there in Jerusalem. Herod was a king who had who had been given his, his throne, his power, his, his authority by the Roman emperor back in 37 B.C. And he was a shrewd diplomat with Rome. He was a paranoid king. He had killed sons. He had killed wives. He had killed anyone who would seek to overthrow or, or, or bring authority away from him. In fact, history of his paranoia and executions explain why, as we read further in Matthew chapter 2, why he assembled the priest and began to inquire about when this Messiah and how this Messiah and where this Messiah would come from. And so the priests tell him, they know the prophecy of Micah chapter 5 verse 2, and they tell him that the Messiah was prophesied to come from the town of Bethlehem. And so he orchestrates a way to put an end to this potential threat by ordering every boy under the age of two to be slaughtered. 
It's amazing to me that the prophets and priests here who know the prophecy of the Messiah to come, who tell this to King Herod, are not moved by the prophecy and of the news that a potential Messiah has been born. But instead of being moved by that, they show nothing more than indifference to the news. Tells us here that mere knowledge of the scripture is not enough to move our hearts. You see, we can know the word and miss what the word says. We can sing the Christmas songs and not be moved to worship the Savior of those songs. Micah's prophecy outlines that the Messiah would be born in the line of King David, that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem like David was, and he would be of this same tribe. Messiah then would also shepherd Israel much like. King David did. So verses 7 7 and 8 lay out the plan that King Herod came up with to put an end to this. What do the Magi do? They continue to follow the star, and it leads them to where Jesus is. If we were to go on to read the story in verse 11, we would see that they came in, came in and did exactly what the song that we just listened to tells us to do and leads us to do. They come in and they fall down and worship this young king. Think about what's happening here in this Christmas story. Three, perhaps three or more, wise men, magi, men of wealth, men of renown, men of authority, men of, uh, of, of prominence come in, bring extremely extravagant gifts to this little bitty boy, a shepherd boy, and bow down and worship him. Prominent men from the east coming to the west to worship. In this story, we find three responses to the coming of Christ. Three responses that took place then, but they're, same, they're, they're the same responses that we have to the coming of Christ in our day. We discover here in this Christmas story that everyone involved had it to decide about Jesus. And today, as we celebrate Jesus, as we sing Christmas songs, we too must decide about Jesus. There's a statement that's going to be on the screen that I want you to see. You see, the coming of Christ is the defining moment in all of history. Therefore, the decision of what to do with His coming is the defining moment in each person's life. Jesus changed history. B.C. A.D. is because of Jesus. We look at history, we judge history, we evaluate history because of Jesus and His coming. And so everything about Jesus changes everything about history and it changes everything about you and I. It's the defining moment of our lives. There's three types of responses that I want to point out to you quickly this morning and then bring some application. The first response we see here in the text is that of casual indifference. Verse 1, it just talks about how Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Jude in the days of Herod the king, and these wise men come. Neither Matthew nor Luke in their Gospels record the responses of the people of Bethlehem. They only record the, the, the main events and the major characters in the story. Those who were visited by angels, those who followed the star, those who even tried to kill Jesus, that being King Herod. It doesn't really say much, if anything about the citizens of Bethlehem. tells us that those in Jerusalem were a little upset, but nothing about those in Bethlehem. So what about those people who were in Bethlehem the night Jesus was born? Where were the people who were around the stable when the shepherds visited? What were they thinking when Joseph and Mary came in to give birth? What were they thinking when all of that took place? What were the residents doing in Bethlehem the weeks following Jesus' birth? Perhaps even the next two years 
What was their response when the Magi came and visited? It seems to me that many, if not most of them, were just simply casually indifferent. They were busy with life. They were like you and I. They had things to do. They had jobs to, to, to attend to. They had families to raise. They had money to make. They had all of the things of life to be involved in. And so they were simply indifferent to what was happening around them. They were not aware of it. It made no lasting impression on them. You see, these people had heard the stories of the shepherds. Surely they had heard the stories of the shepherds who saw the angels singing in the heavens and came down and, and saw exactly what had been declared to them. Surely they had heard the stories. The Baptist phone lines were blowing up, if you will, there in Bethlehem. They might have even heard of how Simeon and Anna had blessed and prophesied over Jesus when he was presented in the temple it was customary for a, when a child was born, especially a boy, to come in and a sacrifice was to be made on the eighth day and circumcision was to take place. And so there in that moment, we read in Luke chapter 2 of how Simeon and Anna, who had been awaiting the Messiah, blessed this little boy and prophesied over him. They would have heard those stories. They would have seen the star of the Magi follow to Jerusalem. Surely this wasn't just a star that these men could see. Surely this was some sort of astronomical phenomena that everyone could see. Why weren't they asking questions? Could it be that their casual indifference caused them to miss the gift of God that was wrapped up in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger? Today for us, the message of Christ's arrival often falls on deaf ears too. We sing the songs, we exchange the gifts, we celebrate the season, we go through the religious motions, we have the forms of worship without ever grasping or even caring about our purpose in doing such. The Magi asked those in Jerusalem, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Here's how I think they probably responded. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just got a job to do. I've got to get to work today. I don't have time to think about this casual indifference, I believe, was the response of many at the coming of Jesus. There's no excitement about what that question could actually mean for them personally. There's no excitement about that what question could mean for them even nationally. It was just simply casual indifference on their part. And today, here at the Christmas season, the same message is being sounded. The king of the Jews has come. The king of the nations has arrived. And sadly, most people will simply shrug their shoulders, go back to their Christmas shopping and preparations for the season, and miss what Christmas is all about. There's a second response, and that is hostile rejection. Verse 3, Herod the king heard this, what the Magi had, had said, and he was troubled. And Luke, Matthew tells us all Jerusalem was troubled with him. Troubled. It's interesting word. Really, King Herod was threatened. It wasn't just simply troubled. He was threatened by the thought of another king being born in Israel. His response to this news of the Messiah being born was not just simply a, a shrug of the shoulders of indifference. It was violence. As we go on to read the rest of chapter 2, we see that he issued an order that, that infanticide would take place in every boy two years old and younger. He purposed to eradicate the threat of the boy before he got out of diapers. See, Herod wanted nothing to do with someone taking his throne. This same sentiment is true of many today as well. The thought of bowing down and submitting to anyone other than themselves, submitting to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is offensive. The gospel is offensive to all of us. 
It flies in the face of sinful humanity who has decided back in the garden that we will have it our way rather than to live God's way. You see, the genesis of the growing war on Christmas that we're seeing in our culture is not just a cultural thing, it's a heart thing. The reason we reject Christmas, really we're rejecting the Christ of Christmas. Culturally, we like everything that Christmas has to offer. We just don't want the Jesus that Christmas is about. That is not just a cultural thing. It's a heart issue. And so it's a hostile rejection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. There's a third response, and we see it from the Magi, and that is extravagant worship. Verse 2. It says that they come and they worship him. Later in the chapter, we see how they worshiped him. They bowed and they offered gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Magi here were anticipating the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. You see, when they saw the signs that those prophecies were being fulfilled, they came seeking the Christ child. They came to worship the Christ child. These men of renown, these men of wealth came to worship, to bow down before a baby boy and offer him gifts of worship. The very best that they had to offer, they gave. They gave themselves and they gave their best gift. All in worship, all in adoration of who Jesus is. They worshiped extravagantly. Man, how much extravagant worship do we offer today in our love of Jesus? In our celebration of Christmas, how extravagant are we in our worship? Do we offer ourselves? Do we offer our best to Him? Or do we just simply go through the Christmas motions? Or let's just put it in a Sunday-to-Sunday context. As we worship together with the church, are we really worshiping Jesus? Or are we simply punching the religious time card and going through religious motions? Our worship should always be extravagant, over and above, uh, overflowing and abundant in how we celebrate the Lord in our lives. Celebration of Christmas reminds us of the incredible gift that God has given to us. Why, why would we give extravagant worship to the Lord? It's because He has given extravagantly to us, right? He's given extravagantly to us. Uh, one of the songs I think in our worship team opened up with was just an idea that we couldn't, we cannot comprehend the gift of Jesus and what that is for us. We just fully can't grasp it. You see, we must always understand that the reason that the gift of Jesus is so great is because we absolutely don't deserve it. We deserve everything but that. We deserve judgment and punishment and separation because we are sinners. We are undone. We are unrighteous and ungodly. We are rebellious against the Lord, and yet He has lovingly gifted us with Himself. Extravagant worship, giving our whole self to Him. The way in which we respond to a gift really says a lot about what we think about the giver, right? This Christmas morning, you might receive a gift that you really don't like. No one here is going to admit that, right? You're going to fake it, right? You're going to get that tie, and you're like, I don't really wear ties, but thank you. I just, that's the greatest tie I've ever had in my life. You're going to get those pair of socks, Dad. These are the greatest socks. Thank you for these socks. And they're absolutely horrendous, or they don't even fit. 
you know, wives and moms are going to get jewelry and necklaces and I guess jewelry and necklaces are the same thing, but uh, you know what I mean. You're going to get a, a sweater, or you're going to get a pair of shoes, or you're going to get something that you don't like. But because you love the giver, you're going to put a smile on your face, and you're going you're gonna to pretend it like it's the best thing you've ever had. Why? Because you love the person that gave it more than you love the gift. And so it doesn't matter about the gift. The good news about the gospel, the good news about Christmas, is that we will never look at Jesus and say, eh, it's not really what I was wanting. No, we will look at Jesus and his gift to us, and it's always enough. It's always exactly what we needed and exactly what we wanted. And so we respond with love. We respond with worship. You see, in Christ, God has given us the greatest of all gifts. He has given us a personal Savior in himself. And so this morning, the question before us as we think about these responses, how have you responded? In light of the decision of all decisions, how have you responded? How will you respond even today? I said earlier that the coming of Christ is the defining moment in all of history. And therefore, the decision of what to do with His coming is the defining moment in your life. I'm reminded of John the Baptist and how he responded to the coming of Christ. If you know the story you, of, the, of the gospel, you know the story of Jesus and his coming, you know that John the Baptist and Jesus are cousins. And so you know that John the Baptist more than likely spent a good bit of time, even though they didn't grow up in the same towns, I'm sure that when they got together for holidays and celebrations, John and Jesus liked to hang out with one another because they were relatively the same age, about six months apart. So they were the same age, they're boys, they liked the same things, and so they probably hung out quite a bit as they grew up through the years. John also, as we know the story, was called by God, even in his inception, even in his birth, to a very special ministry. His calling in life was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one who was to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. His message as he went about his ministry was simple. It was a message of repentance, a message of faith. He called the people to express faith and repentance through baptism. And so the crowds were coming to him as he baptized people in the Jordan River. They were lining up by the hundreds, if not thousands, to listen to him and to faith into the Messiah and to repent of sin and to be baptized. And then one day, as John is baptizing there in the Jordan River, he looked up, and guess who he saw? His cousin Jesus. Jesus was coming with some of his disciples, and rather than all of a sudden being concerned about his ministry and his position and his platform, he looks at his crowd, and he begins to direct their attention to Jesus. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, in that moment, John expressed his own personal faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He didn't look at Jesus and say, behold, my cousin comes. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He chose Jesus, and he declared the news of the gospel to the people who were there with him. Jesus was the defining moment and defining person in his life, and it forever changed John, just as it's changed everyone ever since that day. And so how do we respond to Jesus? That's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And it really has three parts. 
We could call it the good news, the bad news, and the best news. The good news is you love, you're loved by God because you're created by Him for a relationship. You were created perfectly. You were created to enjoy every blessing, every goodness that He desires to, to have in your life. God's design for you was to be holy and perfect and in relationship with Him. The bad news is, is that we find in the Bible, it's because of our sin there in the Garden of Eden, all of what God has desired for us has been broken and marred as a result of sin. It's left us broken in our own lives. It's left us separated from God under the just condemnation of holy God. But the best news is, is not only does God love us, but because he loves us, he has brought himself and put himself in the place to receive our punishment on himself so that we could be in relationship with him. And well, all of us just simply have a choice to make. What will we do with Jesus. For me, April 24th, 1997, I was a freshman in college, a religious kid, taught Sunday school, did everything you needed to do in church, looked like a good Baptist, but I was lost. And that day, because of 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, it told me that the one who has the Son has life, but the one who does not have the Son does not have life. Because of that verse and the gospel that was being instilled into my heart through the Holy Spirit, I said yes to Jesus, and that was my defining moment. My defining moment. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. I am now in a relationship with Him. This morning, where are you at? Are you in a relationship with Jesus? Are you... Uh, Still in your sin, separated from him. Paul will tell us in Ephesians 1 that we're dead in our sin, completely separated, completely cut off. This morning, if that's you, then the response you need to make this morning is repentance and faith, saying yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Perhaps you're a, a Christian this morning. You know you're in a relationship with Jesus, but you're walking at a guilty distance. You know you're not where you need to be. And your walk with Jesus is more of religious and form than it is relationship. And so this morning, the same would be true of you. Come simply by faith and repentance. Ask the Lord to forgive you, and He will restore the relationship you have with Him. All of us this Christmas season need to draw closer to the Lord. Celebrate Him. Worship Him. We need to be like the Magi and offer our absolute best because He's given us His very best. Amen? So let's pray this morning. Father, we thank You for the gift of Jesus. We thank You for what He has done for us, what we could not do for ourselves. But Lord Jesus, because He lived a sinless, perfect life, He offered Himself as a sacrifice there on the cross, taking our sin bearing it in his body, and he experienced the wrath of God the Father on it so that we could be forgiven. Lord, that's the beauty of the gospel message. Lord, your word tells us that because of what Jesus has done, all we have to do is confess our sin and receive the forgiveness that was purchased there on the cross by Jesus. And this morning, Lord, I pray for those in this room, those who might listen to this message on our podcast, Lord, that they would come to a place in their life where they say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Turning from religion, turning from good works, turning from whatever they may be trusted in, and simply turning to Jesus. Lord God, I pray that they would be like those shepherds who heard the message that a Savior had come and they ran to find Jesus. This morning, Lord, and our response of yes, may we run to find Jesus.
Lord, I pray for Christians who are finishing up this, this year and as they look back over what their life has been, what their family has been, and they're just not satisfied. They know that they've not lived like they should. Walking into guilty distances is probably the best description. Lord, I'm grateful for grace, grateful for forgiveness. God, I'm grateful that it's always available. And I pray that, Lord, even this morning, that those responses would be, Lord, I'm coming home. Because you love me, because you care for me, and you forgive me. I'm coming home. Lord, you bless us as we move into a time of response. Open our hearts and our minds. God, I pray for others perhaps that have been visiting our church for some time and it's beginning to sense God leading them to say, I want to be a part of what this church is. I want to be a member. And I want to begin that process. Lord, I pray that in this time of response that we'd have freedom to make choices and decisions as the Spirit of God is leading us to make. Perhaps we even just need to come to the altar and just pray. Thank the Lord and offer ourselves afresh and anew to the Lord Jesus. God, thank you for being our gift. And we give ourselves back to you even this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our